3: to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash thebillpressshow. If you're
2: a woman and you live in Alabama and you care about reproductive rights, your body, get the hell out of Alabama. After that vote yesterday, hey, what do you say, everybody? Here we go. It's Wednesday. Wednesday. Wednesday, May 15, it is the Bill Press Show. Hello, hello, hello. Great to see you today and good to have you with us. we got lots to talk about today, as always, here on the Bill Press Show. And we'll uh, run with you, skip and jump through the headlines of the day, all the big stories of the day here over the next two hours, with the help of a good lineup of guests and with your help as well as we join you online on the radio and on television Uh, to take a look at the headlines of the day. Yes, indeed, hey, Donald Trump Jr., we talked yesterday about the big uh, clash uh, among Senate Republicans over whether or not Donald Trump Jr. would have to come back. For a second time before the Senate Intelligence Committee, he folded yesterday and agreed to come back. Meanwhile, Joe Biden on the 2020 front jumping to uh, a pretty impressive 20-point lead over Bernie Sanders uh, among Democratic voters, those who intend to vote in the primaries. Very early poll, but still uh, shows some uh, amazing strength there, early strength on the part of Joe Biden. But, of course, that could change. We remember all the early polls showing Jeb Bush as the lockdown-confirmed winner of the Republican primary, Four years ago. So can't go by these early polls as we know. Uh, That's just a little taste of the things we have to talk about and the things you will want to comment on and you know how to do so. Send us your comments as always on Twitter at BP Show.
3: But first. This is the Full Court Press. Yes indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well last night was the NBA draft lottery. This was to figure out who gets the number one pick in the NBA draft coming up next month? So the top four the Memphis Grizzlies, the New York Knicks, the L.A. Lakers, and also the New Orleans Pelicans. Now, the Lakers and the Knicks were banking hard. They wanted the number one pick really badly. So how did it turn out? The second pick will be made by the Memphis Grizzlies, and that means that the number one pick in the 2019 NBA Draft goes to the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, so the Lakers and the Knicks were both shut out of the top two picks. They got three and four, but Zion Williamson, the player from Duke, who is one of the most exciting college basketball players in the generation, is expected to go number one, and he will almost certainly end up in New Orleans. Pretty exciting stuff.
2: Does Does he have any choice?
3: He has zero choice. No, this is turn it, it down? No, no. He's entering the draft, and these teams get their the right to pick. Uh, that's how it works. The, usually, Didn't we end slavery? The, oh, come on, Bill. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, uh, the way it works is the team who does the worst the season yeah, before, they right. have a get, better chance get of bed. getting better picks. Right. Uh, so this worked just, out pretty I well. I just think but, they should be awesome. I, uh, I don't want to go to New Ireland, Pelicans. <laughs> Well, all right. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Okay. uh, Have you heard about Getaway, a very stylish new club in Brooklyn? It's all the rage, Bill. Uh, I haven't been
2: there. Sorry. Well, here's
3: the thing. It's a very uh, hip hip new bar in Brooklyn. But here's the thing. They serve no alcohol in this bar.
2: I'm definitely not (laughs) going
3: Yeah, exactly. So here's the thing. They have cocktails on the menu that range as high as, like, $13. But there's no alcohol in it. It's things like they have lingonberry and jalapeno puree. There's a something made with a tobacco syrup. They allow no electronics in there as well. But it's for health nuts, people who want yeah. to sort of get out and socialize but not do it with alcohol. I think that's a no for me, dog.
2: Boy, that's a big no for me, too. <laughs> right? Uh, I I'd love to go by there just to see if there are lines in front of it. Uh, yeah. I doubt it. Like you see in front of clubs here. This is the Bill Press show. And uh, the latest morning console Politico morning consult poll puts Joe Biden up over Bernie Sanders, 20 points among Democratic primary voters, 39 to 19. What's going on? But, uh, Joe, don't get too cocky. Remember Jeb Bush (laughs) and Hillary Clinton. Hey, hello, everybody. Here we go on a Wednesday, Wednesday, May 15. uh, uh, It is the Bill Press Show. And you are welcome to join us. We love the fact that you're with us all across this great land of ours, on the radio, on television, and online. Thanks so much for being part of the program. So we join you, yes, on the radio, WCPT out in Chicago. Hello, hello, Chicago. Statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks. Online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, which is also where you sign up for our podcast. If you haven't done so, please, please, please do so. And follow us on Twitter. At BP Show, at BP Show. Lots of good comments uh, on Twitter every day. Uh, and uh, we want to have you trailing along there and joining all of our Twitter followers across the country. And also, of course, we're looking at you on Free Speech TV. Jennifer Habergorn is going to join us a little bit later from the uh, L.A. Times. Uh, Ed Chung from uh, the Center for American Progress, their criminal justice reporter. And our good friend Graham Vice from Governing Magazine. Uh, With a lot of interesting comments, and we got his take on uh, one of the nation's governors, Steve Bullock, from Montana, who jumped into the race for the Democratic primary contest yesterday, making him, uh, according to um, uh, the latest spreadsheet, uh, number 23. Uh, If um, Bill de Blasio or Stacey Abrams jumped in, they would be a 24 or maybe even 25. Uh, again, always look forward to hearing from you and your comments on the news of the day on Twitter, uh, at BP Show, at BP Show. Yesterday, uh, Donald Trump off on it. This is another one of these. Um, you know, they, if, you, if you check the president's schedule, uh, it's pretty clear. You know, he has all of his executive time in the morning. A typical day is uh, he'll come over to the White House around noontime. Uh, they'll line up a lunch with the vice president or one of the cabinet members just to fill his time. He might have one event in the afternoon, and then he's done, you know, hardly, hardly working up a sweat uh, there. And, of course, both Saturdays and Sundays he's playing golf. Uh, but the other thing to do is once a week, usually now, they'll take him out of Washington, uh, off to some photo op at some plant somewhere. Where he supposedly is going as president of the United States on a business trip to uh, talk about either the economy or jobs or something business related. Uh, you know, every time they turn out to be pure campaign rallies, you might as well have a great big, or have everybody wear MAGA hats. And that's the way it was yesterday uh, when he went down to uh, Louisiana. Uh, appearing at a natural gas plant, uh, and among other things, of course, he uh, has to go after he's, uh, the, uh, these uh, workers there. He's got to go after the Green New Deal, which, will you mind? You is a great, bold new set of ideas about how we should be moving away from fossil fuels into a totally renewable energy, and eco- it's 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 got everything in it: environmental. Equality, climate change, social equality, income inequality addresses all of those things. For Donald Trump, it's just a great, big, again, this is the a presidential speech, supposedly. For him, it's just a big hoax.
0: The Green New Deal, everybody go home. You just lost your jobs. The Green New Deal is, that's a hoax like the hoax I just went through.
2: <sighs> yeah, always comes back to me, 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 right. In fact, he says... The Green New Deal is anti-natural gas.
0: Because under the Green New Deal, they don't like clean, beautiful natural gas. They don't like anything. They don't know what they like.
2: Uh, yeah, obviously he doesn't know anything about the Green New Deal because <laughs> uh, clean clean natural gas is one thing the Green New Deal is all about. Um, at the poll report yesterday, Sharice uh, Date uh, from HuffPost uh, put out just little uh, excerpts of what uh, Donald Trump talked about. Okay, again, I keep coming back to this. I want you to understand. This is a presidential address, meaning it's not a campaign trip, not a campaign rally, meaning you and I pay for it, okay? We're paying for him to go all the way to Louisiana to give this speech where, and so Sharice State just noted the things that the president talked about. Uh, he said, among other things, he's done more than any accomplished more than any previous president in history. Yeah. Not true. Uh, he took credit for building this plant in Louisiana, even though even Steve Scalise, the majority, I mean the minority whip in the U.S. House of Representatives from Louisiana, Steve Scalise said, actually the plant's been uh, in um, around for eight years, <laughs> long before Donald Trump. Uh, he attacked the news media. He also said that wind turbines kill birds. This is a a favorite thing of his. You can't have wind farms because, well, first of all, the wind doesn't always blow. Yeah, he always says that. Then he says wind turbines kill birds. In fact, Donald Trump said yesterday that in California, you can go to jail for five years for killing a bald eagle, but many bald eagles can be found at the base of windmills. This is just caca. This is just crazy stuff. Donald Trump called it yesterday. Every windmill is a bird cemetery.
0: You want to see a bird cemetery? Go under a windmill sometime. You'll see the sadness. <laughs> He's got this stuck in he his does. head. He
2: totally does. Two things. The wind doesn't always blow. Nobody, by the way, nobody told him yet that the sun doesn't always shine. Right. What? The sun does set. In fact, it sets every day. But that's why solar panels are just a total waste. And, of course, wind doesn't always blow. That's why windmills are always a total waste. But the big thing for Donald Trump is, let's hear it again, Peter, bird cemetery.
0: You want to see a bird cemetery? Go under a windmill sometime. You'll see the saddest.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He also, uh, reading here from the White House Pool Report, Uh, He once again bragged about his election victory. Now he claimed, this is new, uh, that his election victory produced the highest television ratings ever in history. More people watched that night than ever, ever, ever before. Right. Uh, And he went after um, the 2020 Democratic presidential candidate. I keep coming back to this. This is a presidential address that you and I paid for for him to go down there and give where he talks about um, Bedo O'Rourke and Pete Buttigieg.
0: Looking at the competition, you sort of dream about competition like that, but who knows? Who knows? I got boot edge edge. I got them all. I got Beto. Beto. Beto's falling fast. What the hell happened? Remember about four, four weeks ago, he said, I was made for this. He was made for it. He was made to fall like a rock. He, what happened to him?
2: He can't resist poking at the Democratic candidates long before we know who his opponent is going to be. There's a story after another story this morning where his White House advisors and campaign team keep saying, stop talking about the Democrats. You're just helping them out. Every time you talk about them, people get more interested in them. And the one he really can not talking about, and the one the White House is most afraid of, reportedly, is Joe Biden.
0: I don't know what the hell happened to Biden. What happened to him? I'm looking. I said, that doesn't look like the guy I knew. What happened to him? And Bernie, you know, Bernie's crazy. <laughs> Bernie's crazy. But Bernie's got a lot more energy than Biden, so you never know. No, no, Bernie's got a lot of energy. But it's energy to get rid of your jobs. He's got the opposite energy that you Produce. We were talking last
2: week about
3: president of the United States. Yeah. We were talking last week about some of the nicknames that he's given. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, so it's crazy Bernie, uh, boot edge edge. Uh, we talked as the Alfred E. Newman
2: uh, and Sleepy Joe. I Sleepy Creepy. It was Sleepy, Sleepy Joe, creepy. and then he turned it
3: into Sleepy Creepy. creepy. Yeah, Sleepy Creepy. <laughs>
2: Uh, He uh, also yesterday attacked Elizabeth Warren, calling her Pocahontas again. Of course. Uh, He claimed falsely that the Veterans Choice legislation passed during his presidency. It actually passed under Barack Obama's presidency. Um, And he promised, he built up to this, he promised that if he won re-election, he would build a new bridge. (laughs) For Interstate 80 down in that part of uh, Louisiana. So uh, there you go. That's, uh, that's what we get. Uh, that's what we got for our uh, tax dollars yesterday uh, out of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, on the Trump front, a couple of other things, by the way. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. did cave yesterday and agreed that he would testify, come back and testify uh, in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Answering a subpoena that was issued by the Republican chairman of the committee, uh, Richard Burr, it was interesting that uh, several Republican, Republican senators, including Lindsey Graham and John Cor- Cornyn, um, basically told Donald Trump Jr. to thumb his nose at Richard Burr and refused to appear or appear and take the fifth. Uh, but Donald Trump Jr. did make a deal that he would appear uh, in a limited for limited questioning behind closed doors. Uh, And that was resolved. Um, Also in Trump world, big article yesterday, uh, I think it was in the New York Times, the um, kind of one of the worst places to live in Manhattan today or one of the worst places to try to do business turns out to be Trump Tower. Uh, Trump Tower, uh, the... Most of the condos there, condo owners, have found out that they are selling their condos in Trump Tower. Uh, Those people want to get out at a loss, which is not true, for, of course, for the rest of Manhattan. And the building has a higher vacancy rate than any other major building uh, in midtown Manhattan with businesses just moving out because uh, they don't want anything to do anymore with the Trump name. It just follows the pattern, as we saw when Those tax returns were released last week of Donald Trump um, not being worth as much, as he says, uh, not being as successful a business person, as he says. And this is just the latest of the Trump properties that's gotten in trouble with people moving out. On the Iran front, we told you yesterday that, uh, again, the New York Times reported John Bolton, national security advisor, has uh, come up with a plan at the White House. That if Iran uh, gets up to, uh, you know, they they feel misbehaves in any such way, uh, that they've got a plan to send 120,000 American troops to the Middle East, not necessarily invading Iran, but just to be nearby in case we have to send some troops into Iran. The president was asked about this yesterday as he's walking out to Marine One on his way to Andrews Air Force Base. Uh, he calls it fake news, but also says if I have to, I'll send, hell, even more.
0: Uh, I think it's fake news, okay? Now, would I do that? Absolutely. Hopefully we're not going to have to plan for that. And if we did that, we'd send a hell of a lot more troops than that. But I think it's just, where was that story? In the New York Times? Well, the New York Times is fake news.
2: That's pretty comforting. No. if, we, if, if, if We're if we not going to send 120, but if I have to, I'll send a hell of a lot more. By the way, we, we asked yesterday, we were saying about 120,000. Uh, how did that compare to Iraq? I, ch- I checked it out. It was 100, for the invasion of Iraq, it was 149,000. So this is invasion-size force Well, at that least the White House is planning on sending to the Middle East.
3: At least the war in Iraq turned out so well.
2: Yes, right. So why not have a war in Iran? Which is something that uh, John Bolton has been pushing uh, on Fox News and pushing in editorial comments and in op-eds and everything long before he became uh, the national security you know, advisor.
3: This whole thing with Iran is, uh, I mean, eerily similar to what's going on or what happened with Iraq. Yeah. Because oh, you have all of these, talking yep. so you have these talking heads. They won it so badly. You had these talking heads begging for another war with Iraq for a decade before we actually went in. Yeah. And yeah, how, uh, I, I, look, think about back to the uh, uh, campaign in 2008. John McCain was talking about bomb, bomb, bomb Iran. Right. You had a lot of Republicans saying, this is where we got to go. This is what we got to do. The Republican Party wants a war with Iran, and it's just like what happened with Iraq.
2: Right. And by the way, uh, I just want to point out, if you're a little confused over the fact that North Korea refuses to give up its nuclear weapons, but we're best buds with Kim Jong-un, and Iran agreed to give up its nuclear weapons, but we want to go to war against them, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's totally contradictory. It's totally crazy, but that's exactly where Donald Trump is today, that's exactly where American foreign policy is today. We are best buds with a company that, with country that is continuing to make nuclear weapons and test them and try them out, and defying the United States, and we are preparing for war against a country that agreed to and did, in fact, shut down its nuclear weapons production program. Go figure. I can't figure it out. It is totally wrong. It's totally contradictory. It doesn't make any sense at all. That's where it is. Uh, interesting, I saw yesterday that uh, U.S. News and World Report, Peter, you'd be interested in this, came out with a um, a survey of the best and the worst states to live in.
3: Oh, wow. Okay.
2: Yeah. The very best state to live in in the United States of all 50. Uh, it's not Alaska. <laughs>
3: No, it wouldn't have been my guess. Uh, What do you think? I'm going to— I
2: mean, overall, right? This is the economy,
3: schools. Quality of life. Quality
2: of life, uh, parks and open space and um, opportunities across the board.
3: I'm going to (laughs) guess, I'm going to guess, California.
2: That would be great. I think it is. Yeah. Anyhow, but no, it's not, but close. Washington State. I
3: almost said Washington State. Yeah. Washington State.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah I can yeah. see that. Seattle, that whole area. Yeah. You know I mean? No. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Great. Great state. Beautiful. Beautiful state. Anyhow, Washington number one, and the other two runner-ups were New Hampshire and Minnesota. Congratulations, right. New Hampshire and Minnesota. Uh, the worst states, the very worst. Number one worst state.
3: I'm going to say, because it's my go to for the worst state in America, Mississippi.
2: Uh, again, close. <laughs> Louisiana. According no, to them. Oh, really? Yeah,
3: Louisiana. And then I thought, no, there are parts
2: of Louisiana I really like. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. But the there runner- are
3: parts of Louisiana that I really don't like, too. That's true.
2: <laughs> but the runner ups were Mississippi, Mississippi and Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Which is a little way to segue into this disastrous vote yesterday in Alabama. Uh, Here we go again, the dumb nuts in Alabama who think that they're going to be the ones who are going to force the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade, and they passed yesterday uh, the strictest anti-abortion, anti-choice measure of any state ever, Um, basically a total ban. They would allow one exception, that is to save the life of the mother, Uh, no exception um, for incest, no exception for rape. Uh, And this would say that anybody, any abortion performed from the moment a woman or girl knows she is pregnant, which could be as early as six days or seven days, uh, reportedly. I mean, I'm not a medical expert, but that's what doctors say from that point on any abortion is um, a f- murder a, f- a crime and any doctor who performed one could go to prison for 99 years
3: it's insane
2: totally insane totally unconstitutional totally contradictory to what the Supreme Court has ruled over and over again but Alabama's they just these the, these yahoos in the legislature want to make a point um, uh, that that certainly will go up the chain uh, in the courts, probably overthrown in the lower courts, may make it all the way to the Supreme Court. But as others have pointed out, if Alabama thinks it's going to be the big state that finally overturns Roe v. Wade, uh, they're kidding themselves because they're already, Alabama's hardly the first state. There are some other, 16 other states that have already passed nothing as strict as as as, as total as Alabama, but 16 other states that have passed some kind of restrictions on choice that have been challenged and are working their way already up to the Supreme Court. This one's just getting started. Uh, Here is what it sounded like yesterday in the state Senate. The House had already passed it uh, in the state Senate when this bill was declared um, a passage of the bill. Twenty-five ayes, six nays, one abstention. House Bill 314 passes. House Bill 314, 25 to 6 State senator, Democratic state senator, says to Bobby Clark, pointing out the courts are going to take care
0: of this, she believes. I think that the court would basically kind of throw all of that out. And, and I think that it would not get past that. But if it does get there, I'm certain that the U.S. Supreme Court would throw it out for those reasons.
2: Uh, another Democratic senator, Bobby Singleton. Shame on you.
0: State of Alabama ought to be ashamed of herself. You ought to be ashamed. Go look in the mirror. You ought to be ashamed.
2: And uh, State Senator Vivian Davis figures, also a Democrat. Isn't it interesting, right? This point has been made before, but it's a good point. Isn't it interesting? All the effort on the part of mostly men to pass laws regarding women, and yet...
4: You know, there is no law in this country on the books that says what a man can or cannot do with his body.
2: Hmm. Interesting point. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just it, 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 some of these people just like there it is uh, never give up. But I'll tell you what. First of all, with this Supreme Court. You can't be too sure that this effort will not succeed with this Supreme Court. There's a real chance if if a case came to them outright to overturn Roe v. Wade uh, or to, or to restrict reproductive rights in any way that this court I could see easily could take it all the way and not just put some restrictions on but just say outright that the Roe v. Wade decision was the wrong decision and to overturn uh, over, overturn it. Don't rest too easily on the fact that the Supreme Court is going to save us, <clears throat> which brings us back to a point we have made over and over again and can never make too often. It's the number one reason And the most important reason, above all else, for voting for president of the United States is nominations to the Supreme Court. Uh, And if you don't believe that, if you didn't believe it two years ago, you certainly believe it today after Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh are on the Supreme Court. Uh, And that court has swung uh, from a pretty fair court to a right-wing court under Chief Justice John Roberts. Very troubling. What happened in Alabama yesterday? Uh, by the way, on the twenty twenty front, well, Donald Trump got a little boost yesterday. Here it is. This is classic, classic, of why uh, of of right wing talk radio, hate radio, uh, and how they dominate the airwaves today. You, with might almost toxic
3: toxic, you might
2: even call it Toxic Talk. You might even call it Toxic Talk. Yeah, somebody I know wrote a book about uh, about to talk radio and called it Toxic Talk. Mm, I think it's still available on Amazon if you want to check it out, <laughs> the paperback, over, paperback version. Uh, at any rate, there's a Florida radio station, a uh, Florida net, network yesterday called Gulf Coast Media. Okay. Or they call it Guff. The Gulf. Guff, yeah, the Guff. The Down the Guff. Down, down the Guff. 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 Guff Coast Media. They announced yesterday that from now on, for the next 18 months, and they own a whole mess of stations in Florida, uh, for the next 18 months, every hour, they're going to play a two-minute excerpt from some Donald Trump speech. Every hour, every day, for the next 18 months, you're going to hear Donald Trump, a little part of a speech of Donald Trump on all the radio stations owned by Gulf Coast. Now, again... Is there any equivalency? Is there anything like in progressive radio that comes close to that?
0: Hell no.
2: They own all the stations. They dominate the airwaves with very few exceptions. Like one of the big ones, WCPT, God bless you, in Chicago. Um, but, but here it is. Conservative network. They own the network. And so what are they going to say? No. We don't care about fairness doctrine. We don't care about Fairness at all. We don't care about balance at all. No. Every hour of every day we're gonna put Donald Trump. Uh part of a speech of Donald Trump.
3: You know, uh
2: it's just unbelievable.
3: Maybe we should do the same thing. Like here's a little excerpt. You wanna see a bird cemetery? Go under a windmill sometime. You'll see the saddest. I mean, I could I can see that backfiring on them because <laughs> there's a lot of bad clips from speeches too. I don't think that's what they're planning on doing. Well Okay. We could have fun with that. Sure. Okay.
2: Okay, I'll go along with that i'll I'll agree to this plan if they let us yeah, if they let uh I'll just say if they let Peter Rockburn choose, yeah, which excerpts we use, yeah, right there's a lot
3: of good stuff out there we. Could- <laughs> <laughs>
2: We could probably fill um, two or three days with just uh, talking about bird cemeteries. Exactly. Or windmills.
3: Exactly. Before anybody freaks out, because every time that we start talking about playing more Trump audio, people get mad. Because I
2: know we- But we're talking about Trump audio for them. Exactly. Not for us.
3: Exactly. Exactly.
2: Right. Yeah. Because we care.
3: We're givers. But can you imagine that? I mean- That's crazy.
2: Yeah. They ought to lose their license. They totally ought to lose their license for that. Uh, But they won't. And- um, and (coughs) there you go
3: this gets Uh, back to the question of whether or not florida (laughs) is trump country and the argument could be made that yeah
2: yeah also the argument could be made is uh it may be barely now but um it's trending the other way god hope though we didn't see that in the governor's race yeah i Mm.
3: I don't know if i agree with that we'll have to to see let's wait for another election now
2: we got (laughs) a trumper as governor in florida for sure All right, and lots and lots to talk about. So we're going to take a quick break and invite in Jennifer Habercorn from the Los Angeles Times. Uh, Take a look at some of the other stuff going on in 2020. Very interesting decision by uh, Elizabeth Warren we'll talk about, uh, among other things. She has rejected an invitation to uh, do a town hall on Fox News. Did she make the right decision? Quick break. We'll be right back.
3: This is The Bill Press Show.
2: On a Wednesday, Wednesday, May 15, it is the Bill Press Show, and you're very much a part of it. Thanks for being there as we join you wherever you are in this great land of ours on the radio, on television, and online, coast to coast, and brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, great men and women of our firefighting departments across the land. We see them every day, roaring by to help out a family in distress. Uh, They do that on the front lines protecting American families every day under the leadership of President Harold Uh And you can find out more about their great work at iaff.org, the firefighters' um, first union to make an endorsement, I think, in the 2020 primary uh, endorsing Joe Biden on day one. And here in studio with us uh, to help us through the rest of the news of the day, Jennifer Habricorn from the L. Well, not the the fake news. The L.A. Times, Los Angeles Times. Jennifer, it's good to see you.
5: Good to see you, Bill.
2: Thanks for coming in. Uh, Lots of comments coming in so far, Peter.
3: Uh, Yes, indeed. Uh, Lots of comments on Twitter. At BP Show. Jerry weighing in on this whole idea of going to war with Iran. Uh, This is John Bolton and Trump's plan for re-election. This is nothing more than a re-election war. scary to think about, but I don't disagree with that. Uh,
2: no, it's all everything is focused toward the base and re-election. I saw that Donald Trump yesterday told somebody at the White House on the tariffs, mm. Um, he doesn't care if it hurts the economy or not because his base likes it he and it will help it. him in 2020 even if the economy tanks.
3: I'm not so, so sure that... Everything
2: is so, you know, boom.
3: And I'm, and I'm that. also not so sure that his base likes it. I mean, there are a lot of his base is getting really hurt by this. Uh, uh,
2: particularly areas of uh, red states with mm-hmm. his base are the ones who are getting hurt by the tariffs, yeah. particularly farmers.
3: Yeah, exactly. Uh, our friend Holly weighs in. Uh, just a reminder, the a Democratic president will be powerless unless we have a blue Senate. So whoever is the Democratic nominee... Uh, it's interesting, but you also really need to focus on the Senate. Good reminder. And also, we've played this clip a couple times already today. You want
0: to see a bird cemetery? Go under a windmill sometime. You'll see the sadness. Donald Trump really cares about the birds being mm-hmm. killed by the All, windmills. The
3: piles of bald eagles yeah. uh, <laughs> under every windmill. Phil says the Trump administration wants to get rid of the wildlife protection, uh, get rid of wildlife <laughs> protection laws like the Migratory Bird Act. Yeah. There right. is a bird cemetery. So, <laughs> if you have a comment on any topic at any time, you can always find us on Twitter at BP Show.
2: All right. Uh, so, Jennifer, you've been writing about this, too. Uh, how do the Democrats, um, now that they have control of the House, um, take on Donald Trump? You call it the slow road? or right? Well— I mean, it's certainly there's no rush to impeachment.
5: Right. Um, impeachment is pretty much off the table. I mean— Pelosi got a lot of flack early on for saying that we're they're mm-hmm. not going to move toward impeachment. And now a lot of Democrats seem to like that she was very cautious, um, put a pretty high bar on impeachment, being it had to be bipartisan. And it's clear, you know, Republicans are still with Trump for the most for the vast majority yeah, um, right. of his voters are still with them. So they know that they would lose in the Senate. They could have this big impeachment vote, but it might cost them the House in 2020. And so now what Democrats are doing, their strategy is to drag this out. They want the idea of impeachment to be in the air, um, but they don't want to go there because they know that for the moderates, it would be a really tough vote. So what they're doing is focusing on their investigations. Um, Their big argument is oversight is really important and that the president is interfering with Congress's authority to Um, keep a watch on the executive branch. And so we're seeing, obviously, they're still focusing on the Mueller Mueller report. They want the whole unredacted version. They want the president's tax returns. And now they're even expanding into um, oversight of the ACA. The Justice Department had this big decision to make a couple months ago. Do they defend the ACA in court or do they let it fall? Um, And typically, the Justice Department's responsibility is to defend the laws of the United States, and the ACA is still law. Uh Um, But they decided, no, we would side with these Republican governors who are challenging the ACA again in court. Um, So that's a big focus of the House now, find out what went into the Justice Department's decision. And interestingly, Politico had a piece around the time of this decision which said that Bill Barr, the attorney general – wanted to go the conservative route and, and, and defend the, most of the ACA in court. Which um, had
2: always been the position mm-hmm. of the Trump administration that we're not going to get rid of everything. We're going to keep the good parts and get rid of the parts we don't like.
5: Exactly. Um, I but, mean,
2: after, I'm sorry, I should add, after they failed, repeal right. failed so this many is, times. This right. is really just focusing on right.
5: the court battle. Um, But Barr was overruled by the White House, Mick Mulvaney and Russ Vogt, the uh, now acting uh, director of the Office of Management and Budget. They took the conservative, the politically conservative route and said, no, we should let the whole ACA fall. So now the Justice Department's official position in court is that none of the ACA should stand. Um, And as you know, you know, these lawsuits about the ACA have a tendency to go straight to the Supreme Court. And there's a fear among um, ACA supporters that this case could go to the Supreme Court as well.
2: Right. So, but for the Democrat now, the problem with the Democratic strategy, of course, is that as they pursue these investigative hearings or oversight hearings, the Trump administration has just said, fine, you can try, but we're going to, we're not going to cooperate in any way whatsoever. And basically, the White House has given the word out to the departments and agencies Uh, don't reply, don't comply, Mm -hmm. no reports, no documents, no witnesses, no nothing.
5: And House Democrats see that. And so what they're doing is putting up all these requests only to have the White House reject them. So what I think is going to happen is that we're going to see more of these requests. We're going to see the White House say no. Um, And the House is going to say, look, you guys have a responsibility to participate in reasonable oversight. So we're going to hold you in contempt. Um, they've already started the process with Barr. I think they're going to move forward with that, with other folks as well. Nancy Pelosi kind of suggested as much, that there would be multiple votes in, on contempt of Congress. And they feel like that sends a message to the public that this White House is not even willing to participate in reasonable oversight. And it'll be up to voters to decide whether that's reasonable and whether the White House's response is reasonable. Uh,
2: now, this is definitely going to end up in the courts. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, there was a first hearing here in Washington Uh, where the Trump administration went in and said uh, that they would not have to comply with any subpoena for financial records. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the financial records, they were trying to get them from the bank, weren't they? Right, I think so. Right. But at any rate, the um, Trump—the reading this morning, uh, and Dana Milbank in the Washington Post had his column on this, that the Trump administration's argument was that you cannot invent—that Congress— Cannot investigate the president anyway, anyhow, for anything whatsoever. That even Watergate and Whitewater were wrong. Uh, that that the president is basically totally hands off. Congress has to be. Can't. I mean, really?
5: I think that's going to be pretty hard for any judge to side with. Um, the The record in court is that. Congress does have an oversight responsibility, and that it needs to be respected. Um, personally, I think voters are not going to look so much at the courts; they're going to look at what is this back and forth between the White House and and Nancy Pelosi. Um, but I think I think the courts are going to side with Congress at the end of the day. Um, the 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 downside for Democrats <laughs> is that the White House can drag this out in court a long time.
2: Right, and and maybe that's exactly. I, I, I we've talked about this before uh that may be exactly what Donald Trump wants is to drag it out through 2020 mm-hmm. or short of that I really believe he would love to lure Democrats into launching impeachment hearings right he would love nothing better and
5: yeah. and I think Pelosi it, knows it like, that trap and is, isn't going to fall into it
2: right um and uh so so I guess the point about Having the this court hearing yesterday, some of this stuff may be decided before we think. At this also,
5: right? Mm-hmm. But it could be appealed, and yeah. those take months. And you know, depending on how far it goes through the legal system, it could be a while.
2: Right. Meanwhile, you mentioned Bill Barr uh, losing with the White House over the uh, Affordable Care Act, uh, but one thing where he seems to have totally conceded with the White House that he has appointed now. Um, hired a prosecutor. It's not a special counsel, right? But he's hired a prosecutor to investigate the investigation. Oh, right, right, right. Which, which is what Donald Trump says. We need an investigation into how this investigation got started, right? Right. Frankly, I think we all pretty they know kind of how this investigation got started. It started with, what, what page was it? Carter Page? was Carter it? Page, yeah. Carter Page and George Papadopoulos and they were looking at Carter Page before Trump ever got elected, right? And then he pops up again, working for Trump. He's bragging about his contacts with the Russians. They went to the FISA court to get a warrant right. on Carter Page. I mean, I'm not sure there's any mystery, but Republicans, particularly Donald Trump, seem. That's not fair. So we have to go back and investigate um, uh, Hillary Where this all started, emails and, right. and everything and how it, got all, how it got started. What's Barr doing?
5: He – so this has been – to your point, a Republican talking point for a while. And it was funny. Mitch McConnell went to the Senate floor and said, case closed. You know, yeah. Mueller reports no, no, over. No, exactly. But right. <laughs> let's keep focusing on these investigations that we want to focus on, which is the Hillary Clinton emails and surveillance of the Trump campaign and Carter Page. And their their talking point.
2: And not only that. Hunter Biden's activity in Ukraine, oh, that's right. which Rudy Giuliani right. was trying to get the Ukrainians to launch an investigation on. So, yeah, case closed. Put it all behind us. But let's start right. new investigations <laughs> here and in the Ukraine.
5: Right, and so it, it's a little bit silly. Um, you can't you can't say that this investigation's over, but let's do this investigation. That's pretty closely aligned um, but I mean Lindsey Graham made a big deal about this as well he wants an investigation he's, he says he's doing one in the Senate Judiciary Committee um, and so you know this this talking point isn't going to go away um, their main argument is that Americans were surveilled and there needs to be an investigation into how that started
2: right uh, it's also interesting on this point that Christopher Ray, who <laughs> Is the new director of the FBI appointed by Donald Trump has now out of favor with Donald Trump because he has refused to say that the FBI spied on the Trump campaign. Right.
5: Yeah, he wouldn't use the term. I forget the term right now that he used instead. Well, Bill Barr
2: said spying.
5: Right, but Ray wouldn't go there. Right.
2: Yeah. Uh, So is Ray is Ray the next FBI director to get fired?
5: (laughs) Have another interim director. Yeah, right. Um, I mean,
2: who kno- who knows? But
5: it, it could be. I mean, it seems like there's bigger fish to fry right now, but um, it very well could be.
2: Right. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. Um, at first said he was going to testify, come back to the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, and then he didn't show. He agreed again, then he didn't show. Uh, Richard Burr surprised everybody, surprised me. Republican mm-hmm. chairman of the committee, uh, said, no, you've got to come in and we'll subpo- we'll issue a subpoena against you, which Trump uh, Jr., again, mm-hmm. tried to resist for a while. Yesterday, what happened?
5: So he's agreed he's going to come. Um, the, uh, the, the meeting's scheduled for mid-June. It'll be behind closed doors. So we won't be able to see it. And senators will be able to ask him questions for several hours. Um, this is interesting because Bar- uh, Burr, Um, the the Republican you mentioned, has taken a lot of flack from other Republicans for for bringing him in. Um, But the Senate Intel Committee, unlike the House Intel Committee, has been pretty bipartisan. Um, And here's an example of it. Um, What's going to come out of that? We don't know. We don't know how soon we're going to know what comes out of it either. Um, But, you know, Burr is moving forward.
2: Well, he must do we know why he wanted Trump jr. to come back? I mean were there questions about his original testimony? do they believe he might have perjured himself or not told the whole truth or
5: I think do, they have what, more
2: do we know the issues that that hinges on
5: I don't think we do um and I think there's you know several hours worth of questions for Donald Trump jr but i'm not I'm not sure what they're trying to get at
2: right. Now they've been pretty tight-lipped, that yeah. that, that Senate committee. And you're right. Burr and Mark Warner have worked pretty side-by-side on this investigation.
5: And there haven't been a lot of leaks, which is another indicator that they're working together and they actually want to try to get to something that's not partisan. Uh,
2: and I guess significant on the face of it that the fact that he's coming in means that the Senate Intelligence Committee is still... At work on on the even though Mueller's issued his report, Senate mm-hmm. Intelligence Committee has not wrapped up. Right, they're still continuing their investigation, and at some point they will have their report mm-hmm. uh, about what they found. Right.
5: Yeah, and we don't know when that's going to drop. Um, I mean, if they're just getting to interviews with Don Jr. Mm-hmm. now, it indicates that you know they're. I mean. Presumably Don Jr. is a big is a big fish in their investigation, so they must be in it close to something, but we have no idea timeline um, and how that could impact twenty twenty.
2: From the Los Angeles Times, Jennifer Habricorn here with us uh, today. Uh, you can follow at LA dot com, right? That's so right. LA dot com. Uh, let's take a look at the twenty twenty front, which you do in your spare time. Uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, I saw this morning that Morning Consult is out with a new poll. Um Actually, two. One yesterday, one today. The yesterday poll uh, among Democratic primary voters. Joe Biden, 39. Bernie, 19. Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris are tied at 8. Pete Buttigieg at 6. And Beto O'Rourke at 5. Uh, does that surprise you that Joe Biden would be riding so high so early?
5: You know I, I everybody such... thought that
2: when he came in it was that was the peak even before he announced and once he got in it would just go mm-hmm. crash right why has it happened that way
5: is it name recognition is it ties to Obama's presidency also all these folks have gotten a spike when they first get in yeah um, I right. mean look at Beto now you said he was what at five five right and yeah for he... a couple of days there he was the he was going to be the likely nominee um You know, what's interesting to me about Biden is that his his voting record is so old at this point that it does not match the Democratic base. I mean, he has the Iraq war vote, Um, abortion issues. He's very moderate compared to where the base is right now. Um, In fact, he'd probably be considered a little conservative on that issue. And so does he. Uh, he also was asked the other day about environmental issues and he was like I've I've never been in the middle you know he wants to be on the Green New Deal now um, and I I think that's going to be tough
2: he's getting criticized uh, for his stand on climate change and the Green Mm -hmm. New Deal because he indicated he's not going to be all the way where AOC is if you will but at the same time he hasn't released his plan so we don't really know but Mm -hmm. it's interesting I mean that that the uh, she the people no not she the people there's a where Bernie Sanders and uh, AOC appeared the other night here oh, in right. Washington, where the, he got a lot of criticism then that he's he's not 100%, if you will, mm-hmm. all with, the, with the Green but And he's probably not, but we don't really know yeah. yet. We haven't seen that yet. But on, on that point, the morning consult poll today kind of affirms what you're saying, that among prim- Democratic primary voters, again, they just looked at Biden. Uh, noted it down here. Let me see if I can find it. Um, 73% said, it's huge, that based on his service in the White House and in the Senate, they're more likely to vote for him because wow. he's got that experience. But 3 out of 10 of primary voters said they don't like his vote on the Iraq <laughs> War. And 40% of voters 18 to 29 said they're less likely to vote for him because he voted for the Iraq War. Wow. Which, of course, is a big difference between Bernie and mm-hmm. and, and Joe Biden. Right. So that is one vote that as long ago as it was still come back to haunt him.
5: Definitely. I'm curious too where the the far left is gonna shake out. Um, you know, an AOC endorsement between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, um, that's gonna solidify, I I, I assume it's gonna solidify some support behind one of them and is this gonna turn into a standoff between the far liberal base, and the more moderate Democratic base. It,
2: she may be the most important endorsement of the 20, 2020 primary.
5: Mm-hmm. I think so.
2: You know, um, and uh, and I think it's going to, it seems one would think it would have to be either Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, mm-hmm. and she once volunteered for Bernie. But the, the person who is the expert, actually, on the Democratic primary, we know, is none other than uh Donald Trump himself. And yesterday, <laughs> yesterday down in Louisiana, he had his comments uh Peter about uh first of all, the uh, two of the candidates, Pete Buttigieg and Beto
0: O'Rourke. I'm looking at the competition, you sort of dream about competition like that, but who knows? Who knows? I got boot edge edge. I got them all. I got Beto. Beto Beto's falling fast what the hell happened remember about four four weeks ago he said I was made for this he was made for it he was made to fall like a rock
5: what (laughs) happened to him
0: he's
2: obsessed with this primary oh yeah yeah
5: but I mean we all are too so I can't blame him too much for that but
2: Typically, the incumbent president of the United States, right, would not be daily commenting on. Yeah, uh, he's supposed to
5: rise above it all.
2: He went after Elizabeth Warren yesterday, too. And, of course, he went after Joe Biden. Most of his comments about the primary are about Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. I don't know what the hell happened to Biden. What happened to him? I'm looking. I said, that doesn't look like the guy I knew. What happened to him? And Bernie, you know, Bernie's crazy. Bernie's crazy. But Bernie's got a lot more energy than Biden, so you never know. No, no, Bernie's got a lot of energy, but it's energy to get rid of your jobs. He's got the opposite energy that you
2: produce. Bernie does have a lot of energy, but but so does Joe. So does uh, Joe Biden. And of course, for Biden, the more Trump talks about him. The more it appears to be already a mm-hmm. Trump Biden contest, so this is he's doing not my job, He's doing nothing but helping Joe Biden.
5: Yeah, I would agree. Um, and mm-hmm. if Biden's numbers continue to stay as high as they were in the poll you just cited, it's going to be hard to argue anything else.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, again, I mentioned he called Elizabeth Warren again, Pocahontas. But the thing that got Elizabeth Warren a little attention yesterday was that. Um, she, like uh, Bernie Sanders and A.B. Klomachar, who've already done so, Pete Buttigieg and Julian Castro, who are planning to do so, she was offered the opportunity to do a town hall on Fox News. Mm-hmm. And her word was, thanks, but no thanks. Make the right decision?
5: I don't know. I think that's going to be tough. Um You know, it frustrated Republicans who said, look, if you become president, you're going to need Republicans. And you just said that anyone who watches Fox News is is, you know, part of the conspiracy. Um, Interestingly, Ted Lieu, a congressman from uh, California. Our good
2: friend. Right. Uh huh.
5: Yeah. um, He tweeted um, essentially in defense of Fox and said there's not everyone on Fox is the same. There's some folks who. Our objective, and we encourage House Democrats to go on Fox. And he kind of has a point. You know, they are highly rated. They're people who are following politics. Why not engage? Um, So I thought that was kind of interesting. I
3: think that one point that she, it was a very nuanced statement that she put out, right? Mm -hmm. She didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Contribute, yeah, to the right. Fox is losing. I mean, they're having they're losing advertisers left and right. So an Elizabeth Warren town hall would probably be pretty highly rated. She sure. doesn't want to give them those advertisers, but she also said, I, "I will credential any Fox News people that want to come to my events. They can interview me at my events, but am I going to go on their network and help them? I'm not." So I, I, I look. Bernie went on Fox News and it was dynamite. Right, you know, it was great, and he won the audience over. Right. So I, I see both sides.
2: on You know, for me, uh, I think the mistake for her not to not a fatal mistake, but my argument, for, I, I used to go on Fox News when they invited me on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never changed my position at all when I went on Fox News. I went there for the first same reason that uh, Willie Sutton said, why do you rob banks? Right. Because that's where <laughs> the money is. So go on Fox News. That's where a lot of eyeballs are. Yeah. Right? You Want to mm-hmm. reach out. So um, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. And we are just getting started. Hey, Jennifer, so good to see you. Thank you, so much you, Bill. for coming in again this morning. Uh, and you can follow Jennifer again at L.A. Times, latimes.com. Graham Vise from Governing Magazine steps up next this at the top of the hour. The we'll Bill be right Press back. Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support.
3: Thing you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
2: Yes, indeed. Uh, the latest morning consult, poll shows uh, Joe Biden with a 20-point lead over Bernie Sanders among Democratic primary voters. Uh, But, Joe, don't get too comfortable. Remember Jeb Bush four years ago? <laughs> Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It is uh, the Bill Press Show uh, on this Wednesday. With all the news of the day, it's good to see you as we roll out to join you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and join you online, on the radio, and on television, coast to coast, with the news of the day, both what's happening here in Washington, around the country, and around the globe. Uh, no, we are not going to war against Iran yet. It looked like we might yesterday. Uh, but Donald Trump says 120,000 troops, hell no. Five to go. We're going to send a lo- a whole lot more than that. Uh, <clears throat> make you nervous? Makes me nervous. Joining us in studio to help us through the rest of the news of the day from Governing Magazine, a good friend, Graham Vise. Hello, Graham.
4: Good morning. How are you?
2: Good to see you. Good to you thinking, see you, too. Are you keeping up with all this stuff?
4: You know, it's it's a lot to keep up with, and uh, you got to run fast.
2: You got to run fast. <laughs> yeah, long distance running. Right. And uh, what to find out from you? Uh, you cover these states. You cover uh, governors in particular. Uh, we have yet another governor announcing going to run for president uh, yesterday. Steve Bullock, whom most of us know, don't know much about, um, but uh, he's part of your territory. So we'll talk about that and a whole lot more uh, with your help and your comments on Twitter. Always welcome. At BP show, Graham, you and I hold off just one second because we have to say. But first, <laughs> it is <it's laughs> the full court. Somehow cracks. you work into it without Very those nice. two words. Peter doesn't Very know what nice. to do. Yes, <laughs> indeed, just a couple
3: of other stories <laughs> making news. So I know we're going to talk about this a little bit with Graham coming up. But uh, in Philadelphia, they put a soda tax Ooh. on the books back on January first. 2017 it's a Uh one and a half cent per ounce tax on sweetened drinks so how has philadelphia responded well they have seen sugary drink sales drop 38 percent according to a new study now they also pointed out that a lot of residents crossed city lines to go buy their soft Mm. drinks their scabs (laughs) <laughs> They're are going over to go buy their soda, soda scams. Uh, soda scams. <laughs> in New they Jersey. In, yeah, exactly. They're going over to buy them <laughs> in other places. Or they said if, if that wasn't the case, they would have seen an even bigger drop in soda sales and sugary drink sales in Philadelphia. So uh, it works. Hmm. It works. Whether or not you want it to work is a different story, but it clearly doesn't work. That was a study published yesterday in the Journal of, Ameri- uh, Journal of the American Medical Association. Pretty interesting. Where? How much is it? uh Thirty-eight uh, uh, percent uh, is how about. much it dropped. Oh no! How much it it. Dropped, but the tax is one and a half cents per pound. or Excuse me, per, per ounce. Per ounce. ounce. Sorry. So you see a lot of these like sixteen-ounce drinks. Yeah. The big gulp is forty-four ounces. Uh, so like it adds up. Yeah.
2: It adds yeah, that's up. That's a that's a healthy tax.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Speaking of junk food, let's go to Chick-fil-A, because Chick-fil-A announced that they, well, I shouldn't say they announced, but it is, they have been studying different ways to diversify their menu, adding vegan options onto (laughs) the menu. Now, for for now, the fries are vegan. They also have a superfood salad side, which is vegan, but they are talking about actually putting some... Vegan meat substitutes oh. between a bun, mm, yeah. between buns and, and selling I mean, it as a look, chicken Look, I
4: actually like a lot of the vegan substitutes. I guess my question is just, will the Chick-fil-A vegan food be the best vegan food <laughs> that you've ever had? Look, I mean, it's, it, it, we'll, we'll see how adept they are at that particular cuisine. We'll see.
2: Uh, I, I have to tell you, I must. <laughs> aside from their uh, anti-gay sure. crusade, right, which I really have a problem with, I don't think the food at Chick-fil-A is Here that we go. good. Peter, I I have tried it out. I'll take five guys over Chick-fil-A any day.
3: This is the Bill Press Show. (laughs) You're live, guys. Come on. Oh, no. You're still uh, fighting over Chick-fil-A. We're still fighting over Chick-fil-A and five guys. (laughs) Right. Five it,
2: Guys is trash. Try five Whoa. Guys is the best. No, no. And the, and Chick Fil A's French fries suck. Unbelievable. Man. Oh man. man. All right, here we go. Hey, we have more important things to talk about. Don't we? Do we though? Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show on a Wednesday, May 15. Uh, yeah, uh, we've been ambushed here by Graham Vice, who is trying to take over the show. Hey, it's my show, damn it. Uh, so. We are glad to see you today. Thank you for joining us as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. Joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. One more reminder, sign up for our podcast and sign up for Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Looking at you on Free Speech TV and uh, looking at you also on the great WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago and the area around Chicago. Thanks so much for being part of the uh, program. As we dive into the news of the day with Graham Vise, staff writer at Governing Magazine, uh, the pride of the state of Rhode Island. You know the, it. No, it's not the state. It's <laughs> Or the, at least the, <laughs> Providence, isn't it? What no, did, no. Plantation. Uh, that's
4: right. The state of Rhode Island and Providence Plantation smallest state with the longest name.
2: <laughs> All right. There we go. You, Governor State, cover states and governors and legislatures and cities and mayors. Uh, And we've got a new governor, uh, not a new governor, but a new entry into the Democratic presidential contest with Montana Governor Steve Bullock. Tell us about him. What do you know about him, and why did he wait so long?
4: Well, this is going to be a short segment because the truth is that I, even though uh, my colleagues undoubtedly have written a lot about him, I frankly have not uh, followed him very closely. And to your point earlier, I mean, I think it's uh, it's an example of this field is now so big. You know, it's like uh, it would be really interesting to see which candidates are able to break through. I mean, do you, do you know much about him?
2: Uh, I know that uh, most people believe he's been a a good governor. Mm-hmm. I think he is a good governor. Uh, He has staked his his, his reputation for getting things done in a Trump state. Right. Uh, That's sort of his calling card, card. if you will. I know how to work across the aisle. I know how to move things through. I can win in Trump territory, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think he can. Um, I like he's got that executive experience, which I like. Uh, which um, all, all mayors and governors, you know, argue that that's valuable. And even Pete Buttigieg says, right. right? It may be a small city, but yeah. it's more executive. Experience I'm, a, I'm a little than dubious. Most of these people, you know, have had.
4: Buttigieg has sort of said that you know almost <laughs> almost any mayor, you know, has the right executive experience, uh, experience to be president, which I think is a little hard to swallow. But yes, that's
2: an argument that they certainly put forward. One thing we do know about Steve Bullock is uh, well, first of all, he got in late to answer my own question because he felt that he had to stay to, uh, uh, active in Montana as long as the state legislature was right. in session because there was a lot of state business to right. conduct. We don't know much about him, but we do know that he may not be the sharpest candidate on his feet. As uh, was apparent yesterday, he gave... Um, so he released a video over the weekend uh, and yesterday, or Monday, in I guess it was yesterday in Helena, Montana. Uh, Is
3: that how you pronounce it? I thought it was Helena, but... Maybe Helena. Yeah, I I don't know. I thought it was Helena. Never been there. Never been to Montana.
2: Uh, So (laughs) he uh, had a big town hall making his big announcement, and he gets one uh, question from the crowd. What are you proudest of as governor? Now, this is a man who's running for president of the United States. Here's that exchange. Yes, ma'am. What have you been
5: proudest to achieve as governor?
2: Um, tick, 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 tick,
4: tick,
2: tick. I am. Oh, God. Tick, tick, Happy tick, that. Tick, tick. Oh,
3: God. Hopefully, my kids still know my important, most important job is being their dad.
4: So, I mean, that's. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, good for him that he's close to his family. No, absolutely. But at the same time.
4: I mean, it reminds you, there's a little bit shades of the the Ted Kennedy, why are you running for president question uh, back in the day, uh, where he he, he couldn't, uh, when he was challenging Jimmy Carter, yes. he didn't right. have a good answer on that. And uh, people say that
2: hurt him. Uh, it did. <laughs> and I think that hurt Steve Bullock. The dream too. shall never die. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
4: but uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let me look. I'm I'll, upset I'll, about I'll, Steve Bullock. Right. Well, uh, maybe you don't have to wait. It's time. early. It's we'll see. You know, we we, we I, my, I'm actually. I don't think we really know very much at all right now because you know we're still uh, you know the summer you know people aren't voting we, you know who knows all right. the debates could be could change okay. everything. Right. You have. Uh, I think it's
3: great, by the way. His slogan for 2020 is just. Um, there you go. And <laughs> look, it fits on a bumper sticker. You know, it's just two letters. Um. All right. I'm a dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right.
2: Uh, what else is going on? What else is going on is uh, a lot of cities and states are considering, and some already passed soda taxes. That's Here's right. Is your big issue, man? You're, you're into this. <laughs> I'm, I'm is interested. it working? Is it fair? Is it? Well, perform? what I I find this so interesting. Like Peter was just telling us, those that weren't tuned at the top of the hour, about. This Philadelphia's
4: that's right. Where the mayor, by the way, is uh, com- totally under attack from the the beverage uh, industry and from the the opponents of of the soda tax, and uh, they're running ads against him, and and uh, and it's it's really it's become sort of a high profile issue. Um, yeah, I, I wrote a piece. Uh, I guess it was uh, you know in the past uh, month or so um, about just looking at how um, a number of states. Uh, across the country had introduced or were sort of considering um, soda taxes this year. Um, But what I came to find was that uh, it had been many, many years, I believe decades, since uh, a state had actually passed such a tax, and it's looking as though many of the measures that were introduced this year aren't going anywhere. For example, I mean, if you can believe this, I talked to a California lawmaker about this bill that he was championing to tax soda and by the time i ran my article he had pulled the bill oh so huh. yeah. you know it, it, it you know and 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 the, the debate is an interesting one as well i mean which actually divides democrats i mean here's an interesting bit on this I, I don't know if it was the philadelphia tax but it may have been that um it was definitely the issue of soda taxes where in 2016 Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton actually split on this where Sanders argued that soda taxes were regressive and would hurt working people. And Clinton, you know, I, I presumably for the public health argument got behind them. And so it's a even on the on the left, among Democrats, it's a kind of thorny, tricky issue. It it is a you know, it is a regressive tax. It, 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 it you know, yeah. um, uh, adds more to
2: your, you know, to your bill. What is it, uh, Peter, again, uh, in Philadelphia, it is a penny and a
3: half? It's a penny and a half per ounce.
2: Yeah. All right. So if I buy um, medium diet Coke or, so, or, or what not diet Yeah. Coke. And I think in, in many cases diet sodas are exempt from the Yeah, market. I was going to ask right. about yeah. diet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, that is, so you're adding maybe 25 cents to yeah. a
4: And 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 the argument is, you know, because which I I do think (laughs) is is compelling is that you know the 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 sort of omnipresence of soda and of sugary uh, foods and drinks is such that you know people are and and the and the enormous amount of advertising. I mean, think about the the cultural. Um, kind of presence of, of soda companies in Super Bowl ads, in, in you know, ads, Every I mean, you know, they do have an enormous sort of cultural power, right? And so the idea is that government should be kind of helping to structure the market in such a way that people can make healthier choices. And, um, you know, Mike Bloomberg famously sort of tried to take this on and ultimately a, a court uh, sort of uh, ended right. ended that uh, that now he was he was uh, talking mm-hmm. not about soda taxes but about sort of portion sizes uh, for. For soda, but I, I sort of think this is going to be uh, an issue that may continue to crop up um, over the years, and, and we may continue to have this debate about. In, in, I mean, the, the harshest critics of sodas of, of the soda industry compare it to the tobacco industry and say that it's sort of similarly, um, you know, addictive, and and similarly has a kind of lobbying power um, that has, you know, a nefarious effect.
3: You know, I, I think that the the Bloomberg thing of limiting the sizes is a much more interesting. And honestly, more important argument because look, if you're the type of person that has, let's say, a Coca-Cola, which I haven't had one in the longest time, yeah, like just a straight up, yeah, you know, uh, Coca-Cola. Um, it's like
4: full calorie
2: Coca-Cola, full yeah, calorie yeah.
3: Coke, yeah, full calorie Coke. Whatever, right? You have one in the Blue Moon, b- big deal, right? It's a tr-
2: leaded, as say, so.
3: leaded, leaded Coke. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But when you talk about <laughs> what Bloomberg tackled was were like the big gulps remember this like famous thing of the big gulp i forgot who i think it was sarah palin that showed up with like a big gulp cup
4: oh god and and just on this point real quick in connecticut where ned lamont has is championing a soda tax like republican lawmakers in the legislature showed up with double gulps in the to like in the (laughs) legislature like you know from my cold dead hands What about the double big gulp
3: because a big gulp is 44 ounces
4: yeah The double gulp is twice that or whatever. That's
3: 88 ounces. (laughs) 88 ounces of soda? Yeah, yeah. You can't even uh, – oh, God. But, like, there are people who drink those big gulps. Like, I used to work when I was working in construction. There are people who would work like Mm -hmm. drink a big gulp a day of regular Coke. And that's just – think about what that's doing to your body.
2: Right. Uh, I I could also see the other side of – not to spend too much time on this but um you know you can encourage me to eat healthy uh fine but you know i should not have to pay to, to eat whatever i want to eat i mean mm-hmm. you get t- t- the other extreme is then you just give s- spinach away or you mm-hmm. give veggies away right because mm-hmm. that's what you should be eating if you want anything else you got to pay for it you yep. know you want to put a tax on red meat extra tax on red meat yeah. you shouldn't be eating it right a, a final fish away. A
4: final know. point on this, which which sort of speaks to the politics of it and then we can move on, is that, um, you know, I, many of the people uh, and communities that uh, are <laughs> large consumers of soda, particularly in some of these urban centers, are minority communities and yes, lower income yes. people. And so, no. you know, the, the, the worry for the advocates is that this becomes kind of like. A cause of white liberals, of sort of affluent, you know, white liberals, uh, uh, sort of that, and the beverage industry would argue that it's sort of lower-income and communities of color that are that are
2: harmed. I, I think that is absolutely right, and I think what Bernie had called a regressive tax is right. Yeah. Um, so um, one other uh, aspect. There's so much going on. Um, election security. I saw that uh, the governor of Florida this week. That's right. Says that two counties in Florida. And I think he identified the counties. He did not. Uh, were actually hacked into Correct. by the Russians. So, are governors doing anything about uh, election security for 2020?
4: They are. Uh, uh, I thought that was a very a very interesting story. So, this is Rick Scott, a Republican governor in Florida. No, no.
2: Ron DeSantis. Oh, Ron no.
4: DeSantis. That's right. I'm sorry, right. Ron DeSantis. Yeah. yeah. God. Um, he came forward and 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 and, and said that. And uh, Rick Scott, previous governor. Yeah. Um, and. What was interesting is, I guess during the campaign um, for Senate, uh, Bill Nelson had come forward and sort of yes, talk, questioned right. this, and and was sort of uh, you know dismissed, uh, and and it turned out that that in but, fact uh, no,
2: he said he was just raising, was trying to scare people, right. didn't know what he was talking That's about. Right. Yeah. Uh and turns out he did. Uh, turns out he did. And and so uh
4: this I mean I actually have been covering uh a kind of Obscure but really, really interesting uh, storyline on this subject, which is that secretaries of state at the state level—you know, not the not the uh, federal yeah, diplomats, right, but right. the people who are you know the, the secretary in of state, in charge of the elections, in charge of elections in, at the in states—have um, really been taking this issue on. And so, uh, I covered a hearing, a congressional hearing uh, here on Capitol Hill um, in front of the House of Representatives. I believe it was uh, last week, where the Secretary of State of Alabama. Alabama, who is this Trump supporter uh, uh John Merrill, uh, uh, who basically uh, you know is a very conservative, uh, has partnered with um, this woman Jocelyn Benson, who is the Mi- uh, Michigan Secretary of State and is a Democrat, big Hillary Clinton uh, supporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, a, a sort of pioneering uh, woman in law who was the dean of a law school, and and they are have this sort of unlikely bipartisan partnership, uh, along with uh, 18 secretaries of state uh, from around the country. Where they actually went to Selma, Alabama, uh, to the Edmund Pettus Bridge this past Mm -hmm. weekend on this big like voting rights uh, sort of history tour. And they are um, they are basically working together to lobby Congress to give more money to states to reform election systems. So to um, make voting machines, uh, you know, improved and to um, move away from electronic voting back towards, you know, making sure that all of the states have like paper Paper uh, ballots, which are deemed to be safer. You know, there's a (laughs) bunch of other um, stuff about kind of cybersecurity when it comes to voter registration databases. And, you know, we could get into the weeds about it. But what's interesting is that um, there does appear to be at least some recognition. On both sides of the aisle, that this is something we have to care about, and and I was struck that um, both. Uh, to see this, this guy, John Merrill, uh, who's the Alabama Secretary of State, sort of front and center in this partnership with her. Um, and also, it, it, I think when they had this big meeting in Sama, Alabama, there were something like, um, you know, the delegation was half divided between um, members of both parties. So we'll see. I mean, hopefully, certainly funding for these states to reform their system seems to be something they all agree on.
2: Uh, well, what's interesting is that this is uh, that the secretaries of state. In a bipartisan fashion, right, uh, are concerned about this and trying to do something about it, whereas the Trump administration uh, denies that it's even happening. Yeah, it's I mean the Trump White House, which has yet to acknowledge that it happened in 2016, let alone to condemn it, despite what the Mueller report says, that reportedly when Kirsten Nielsen. Uh, Now, the former secretary of DHS. That's right. Wanted to talk to Donald Trump about Russian meddling in the 2020 election, which, again, the secretaries of state are concerned about. Uh, She was told by Mick Mulvaney, "Uh -uh, don't don't bring that up to Donald Trump because he doesn't want to hear it.
4: I think this is an example of where um, some of the bureaucrats in the in the Trump administration may be working more cooperatively with the states than the president himself right um which is true on like a lot of issues um but I think that yeah I mean he certainly his tone about the kind of significance of the Russian meddling he wants to downplay it I mean and even Merrill from Alabama the secretary of state there and other Republicans who are who are advocating for reform of our voting systems they are quick to point out you know um, the Russian meddling didn't change any votes I mean they have to sort of you know uh, emphasize this idea that that you know the, which which is seems to be borne out by the facts that um you know it didn't it didn't necessarily make the difference in terms of changing votes directly um you know well what for, about in for, Florida do we know well we I, I mean I don't think we know anything more
2: I on... mean Florida was so close that's true could they have? It, the,
4: the the sense that I have is that the more significant Russian meddling was the stuff, the influence campaigns they were doing on social media. I mean that that I think you could really argue may have had some effect. I mean you, there were these crazy stories about like people, sh- yeah, ha- showing up at rallies like I- in real life as a result of like trolls, right? On on, on they online. reached
2: millions and millions of people. It had to have some effect. Sure, enough effect to influence the outcome yeah. of the election. Right? We don't know. Definitely a factor. Um, Ron DeSantis. Could be governor of California I mean of Florida today because of uh, help that he got from the Russians it's a
4: it's a, it's a uh, you know I, I find it difficult to parse out you know how how much of an effect it, it would have had um, but uh, but but you know again it, the fact that we there seems to be this drip drip of revelations of how much attempted interference or in some cases successful hacking occurred, is very troubling. And actually, I mean, I'll, I'll uh, one of the people who testified at the hearing, um, uh, let's, so Larry Norden, who's the deputy director uh, of the democracy program at the Brennan Center for Justice, he says, there are several reasons to believe the threat against our election infrastructure will be even greater in 2020. Russians, uh, will have had 4 years to leverage knowledge gained in 2016 mm-hmm. yeah, to do right. more harm you know he said the US could also face hacking threats from other countries including China Iran and North Korea so you know it, it, in some cases it's not news countries would be trying to influence our election this has been going on for, for a long time but um it, I, you know i've been writing about it because it's clear that you know even uh, both sides of the aisle and the states feel like this is something they need to address
2: right uh, on the, In terms of um, activity taken undertaken by the states, the big news today, of course, is the vote yesterday in Alabama, mm. um, where Alabama, uh, the House had passed it before, the Senate yesterday uh, passed the most restrictive anti-abortion legislation uh, of, of any state in the country. The governor has, I think, six days to decide whether or not to sign it, which yeah. she will. Um uh, which sets up uh, a direct conflict. I mean, this is, um, uh, as I say, just about a total ban. As exception for to save the life of the mother, no exception That's for rape, though, right? no exception yeah. for incest. Right. And it starts within, like, six days. Once uh, a young woman learns she's pregnant, which yeah. could be as early as six days, yeah. from then on, uh, it's a crime for which doctors can go to prison for 99 years, up Mm -hmm. to 99 years. Um, But uh, we'll see what happens to that in the courts. Alabama's not alone.
4: No. No, I mean it. It, it uh, we we're seeing. Um, it's funny. I I reported a story which I don't think <laughs> I talked about on on this show, but I went down to Georgia to do some reporting about the film industry there, which is this sort of. If you can, this is a total di- digression, but there, uh, other than New York and California, Georgia has become this sort of hub of movie making, and um, what's interesting about that is that uh, when. There was a, a really restrictive abortion law. I think um, the
2: most restrictive before Alabama was Georgia.
4: That was just just passed by the yeah, legislature. Right. And and I, I'm not sure, you know, I, I'd have to follow up to see if um, the governor there actually signed it. He certainly had planned to when I was doing the, the reporting. I think he did, actually. I think he read that he did. Um, and... Uh, basically you know it set up this situation where all the liberal Hollywood I mean Alyssa Milano the the actress went down to the floor of the of the Georgia legislature to basically say we're gonna pull Hollywood out of this state if you pass this law and uh, so now it's gonna go to the courts and sort of we'll see where that where that ends up um but anyway I, I did a bunch of reporting on how that that became a real um, kind of flashpoint for one of the big, Industries in the state, this this new sort of movie making uh, money that's down there, um, but it's this certainly seems to be a, a trend where basically uh, you know uh, these states are, are are moving in a in a more restrictive direction, and uh, you know I think I read in uh, in the coverage of the alabama um, the Alabama uh, uh, law uh, today that um, you know the, the advocates are hoping that this sets up a kind of Roe v. Wade. You know, maybe the, maybe the Supreme uh, Court would take up,
2: would sort of render the, a judgment about Roe v. Wade. Uh, the sponsors of this legislation have said outright, yeah, I mean, this they is, have said this. This is yeah. their goal, right? They want to be the trigger uh, that will uh, for the ca- for the Brett Kavanaugh Supreme Court, for you the know, Brett to- Kavanaugh Supreme Court to are, overturn Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Uh, others have pointed out, uh, nice try, Alabama, but there are sixteen other states already ahead of you in line that have passed. Restrictions, not yeah. as not as bad as Alabama, but restrictions on abortion, which are he- heading toward the Supreme Court and will likely get there before Alabama does. Yeah, yeah. Right, so Alabama n- may not have the play the the role uh, that they intended. But you're right; they've made they've just. Um, not tried to hide the fact that that no. that is their intention, right. No.
4: I mean, I think one of the one of the <laughs> interesting subplots of the Trump era is that uh, it seems to be an awfully good time to be. Uh, a social conservative and and to be in the religious right even though you know Trump's personal conduct couldn't be further from what they say you know are their values I mean you know I think I think between Kavanaugh on the court and and uh, and what's going on kind of on the states I mean it's
2: boom times for it's Supreme Court it's abortion it's same-sex marriage and if Donald Trump's okay on those three issues they don't care how much he plays around they don't care how many porn stars he you know, he, he uh, hangs out with and pays money to keep them quiet. He's, none of that. They don't care about his, uh, his, his sins at all. It's just, again, Supreme Court abortion uh, and um, same-sex marriage. One other thing I want to ask you about is that yes, sir. On, the, on the more positive front of what's happening in the states, we've seen state after state where teachers have flexed their muscle and are winning. It's This Places is like Oklahoma, West yeah, Virginia, yeah.
4: Kentucky. I have to say, this has uh, been really um, fascinating to cover as well. And and one of the things that I uh, get to do at Governing Magazine is uh, to sort of um, step back and, you know, let some of my colleagues uh, elsewhere cover um, Trump and and what's going on in Washington and sort of follow some of the stuff that's been going on out in the states and, and cities. And you know, there. I I, I just wrote uh, another piece about how, um, you know, there are now some uh, s- states or uh, w- that are kind of considering um, whether there should be like a teachers' bill of rights, where basically teachers would be protected from um, if they're making either making political statements um, or or in the classroom or 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 more ger- um, germane to what you're bringing up, um, if they're. Being activist outside of the classroom, that that wouldn't, you know, get them in trouble at school or with management or whatever. But um, but yeah, there continue to be teacher uprisings uh, in cities and states around the country, advocating for more pay, um, for for better uh, benefits, and and it's understandable given the salaries of many of these uh, these teachers. Um, you know, my sister is a teacher in, in, uh, in Massachusetts and, and, you know, I, I certainly, uh, know that she's not getting rich doing that. And so it's a, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting storyline. And, and I think part of the kind of uh, reawakening of a labor tradition, a kind of worker mm-hmm. um, tradition in the Democratic Party,
2: and in every in every case. And we talked last week to Randy Weingarten from the AFT right. about I've this. I've talked to her many times. Uh, in every case, it's not just the teachers are not just out, and the students following them are not just out for better pay for teachers and better benefits for teachers, but also money just to do their job in the classroom, mm-hmm. uh, to buy new books for for, sure. for for kids, buy new supplies for kids. Have smaller classroom sizes, so they can, you know. Have a better I mean, one chance thing, just, just so
4: our listeners understand. I mean, and 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 viewers understand. I mean, there are many schools across the country where literally the buildings themselves are decrepit. You know, falling oh, totally. apart. Yeah. Kids are, kids are. It's like cold. You know, yeah. kids are like shivering and. I mean, this is. It sounds like I'm. You know, kind of. Uh, you know, really. Uh, you know, advocating for, for for one side here, but I mean, it. I've been really struck. Just frankly, I mean, think about what a basic idea that is that your kids should be. You know, warm and dry and and safe in and a building safe. and yeah. safe in a building. You know, and that's just not happening in way too many school, schools schools right. across the country.
2: All right. Well, we keep our eye on Washington while you keep your eye on the uh, fifth. 50 states out there, yeah. Graham. So, and uh, they do a good job. Thanks so much for coming in and bringing us up to date. Graham Vise at Governing Governing Magazine. Governing.com. Governing. Governing.com. And from the Great Center for American Progress, Vice President of Criminal Justice Reform, Ed Chung, joins us next here in the studio. Thank you, Graham. Thank you. Quick break. We'll be right back with Ed Chung. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is on the 15th of May. That's today, Wednesday, May 15. And we're coming to you today live coast to coast. uh, Thanks to the support of the American Federation of Teachers the Men and Women of the AFT, Teachers of America, making their voices heard all across this country on so many important issues and doing God's work in the classroom every day. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program. Welcome you to this last half hour of the Bill Press Show on Wednesday, where we're joined from the Center for American Progress, uh, their vice president for criminal justice reform, Ed Chung. Ed, it's good to see you again, as always. Good to be here. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for coming in. Um, We're going to hear, it turns out, our senators are going to hear from Donald Trump Jr., after all. Uh, a little back and forth there, but he finally agreed to come in and testify behind closed doors. Are we ever going to hear from Robert Mueller?
1: Well, I think so. I think they're um, they're do. negotiating. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so uh, right now, Robert Mueller is still an employee of the Department of Justice, and so um, the question is whether or not they're going to wait until he eventually. I, we're assuming that he's not going to stay on afterwards. Um, but we there there are negotiations happening now, and it, there's. Uh, n- in terms of describing the investigation, especially what the president has said before, he originally said, "Yeah, I had no problem with it." And I think Bill Barr signaled that before, and now, obviously, with uh, well, b- with Bill Barr's testimony uh, in the Senate, that didn't go so well. There was a retrenchment of that, and there was a turning around of that um, initial position. So, I think there was there. We will see it. We just don't know exactly when, and we don't know w- if it's going to be before or after Mueller leaves the Department of Justice. Uh,
2: now that we've seen the report. Mm-hmm. What's the point of having Walter testify? What can what will we learn from him that we don't see in the report?
1: So I think there's there's a broader uh, issue of how much the American people have actually read the report and actually know what's in it. So there's nothing like a con- congressional hearing, uh, especially with the person who's in charge of the investigation, to have people focus in on the actual details of it. I think still this and this is what happened with Bar what Barr did originally the the narrative of When he came out with the press conference two days after receiving the report, that still is in people's heads. So I would imagine that Congress has um, in mind uh, wanting to flesh out and clarify what the actual issues are uh, to talk about collusion, um, that there was collusion, but maybe not conspiracy, but also the obstruction. But that's that's the second part is really, I think, it. Where what did Mueller intend to do uh, with the obstruction uh, Mm -hmm. incidents? And what was his decision making in? kind of leaving it open, at least unanswered, um, but also uh, saying not too directly. Again, I think w- people can dis- uh, disagree whether or not that was the right move or not. But when he's laying out all these counts and laying out uh, all the elements of the crimes, but without coming and saying that the president did this, I think under questioning, Congress can elicit at least more information that signals a direction uh, where to go.
2: I think, were I a member of the House Judiciary Committee, right? What I would like to get a yes or no answer on is: okay, Donald Trump says no collusion. Mm -hmm. Is that what you found? Right. And I think he'd have to say no. Yeah. He said I didn't find a criminal conspiracy. He obviously. Yeah. Uh, Donald Trump says there was no obstruction. Right. Is that what you found?
1: Right. No. Yeah, and I think one of the things that has Mueller probably, and I don't know the man at all, but just based on reading what's happened, he sent a letter two days after the bar uh, first press conference that that it was an extraordinary letter for somebody who is a small C conservative, like a traditionalist, Mm -hmm. to memorialize in writing that I am upset with the way that you're framing this. So at the very least, uh, it signals an opening potentially to get my side of the story out. Now, I think that this could be set up for higher expectations and maybe a more muted type of actual testimony because Robert Mueller's a smart man. He is a law enforcement guy for his entire career. Uh, He's going to choose his words carefully because that's what what you're trained to do in the Department of Justice and you need to. Uh, But at the same time, I think the questions, uh, for example... Uh, You know, if you're looking at the obstruction counts themselves, at least four or five of them, he he lays out clearly that it meets the elements of the crime of obstruction. So even just walking through those things and um, maybe even putting hypotheticals before them saying, "Okay, if this wasn't the president, would this be a clear case of obstruction? And if you can get at least a, well, it could be, you know, something like that, that would be enough and that would be success.
2: Right. So you believe we'll hear from Robert Mueller. Will we ever hear from Dom again?
1: Well, it looks like there's a, a, a drop dead date, if uh, no pun intended, uh, is, <laughs> is put out there for uh, the 21st. Um, and uh, it, there's this big battle now between about on subpoenas on how and what he can testify on. Um, and whether or not uh, he could produce documents as part of that subpoena and come in and testify. I think eventually he will testify. The issue with McGahn is a little bit uh, more complicated than with Mueller because he was a, he was White House counsel. There were more personal interactions with the president, obviously, because of um, his role as counsel. It wasn't his personal counsel. It was the counsel mm-hmm. for the White House. But at the same time, providing advice and counsel to the president. Um But then it's also complicated. So
2: executive privilege could come into play here.
1: Yeah, I think so, and it depends on where uh, where it is, and it may be a court fight, it may be a negotiation as well. But the question is, um, you know, how much can he testify on things that he has already testified about or revealed to uh, the Mueller investigation that is now public, Mm -hmm. Um, and how much goes beyond uh, that? uh, Those types of conversations, things that may not be revealed. Things that may actually be in the 302 FBI 302 summaries that aren't actually in the Mueller report. So in the underlying evidence, um, I think there's some fight there in terms of what uh, McGahn could testify about. But you know, f- going from a, a defense counsel perspective, if you want you want to be protective just in case the questioning strays out of line, and you want to know exactly um, what the parameters are. Um, but I think we'll be we'll see him. It's just the parameters are the question,
2: right? Um, in terms of if the White House does not uh, agree or easily comply with requests for documents or witnesses, um, the Congress can always issue subpoenas. Right. They have actually, have. and the White House has said we don't care. We're not going to comply. Right. Um, yesterday was the very first court hearing challenging the White House's position. Uh, And the White House really came up with a blanket, as what I read about it wasn't there at the hearing, but basically a blanket statement that any investigation by Congress of the president on any grounds whatsoever was out of line, that they have no right to to seek any information from the president.
1: It was a really extraordinary position that uh, the Trump administration took, and for anybody who was... Really looking at the Trump administration, not thinking that it's going to be a uh, you know going towards a monarchy or an authoritarianism. The the legal positions that uh, the president's council put out there, the White House council put out there, um, was was that Congress cannot essentially has no authority, as you're saying, to look into any kind of wrongdoing that the president has because. Then they would be acting in a law enforcement capacity, and the judge just maintained this. From and I wasn't there either, but from reports, um, were was putting hypotheticals to uh, to the count to the Trump's counsel, and think you know in in this situation, if there were um, you know really just evidence of wrongdoing, is there any way that the the, that the Congress can um, assert um, subpoenas and 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 get compelled documents, and testimony, and the answer was basically no, which is. Um, we, I mean, I, I don't have yeah. to tell you exactly like how just baffling and how dangerous that kind of uh, theory is.
2: Right. Uh, and what I thought was with with the judge, as you say, he kept throwing out, well, what about this? What about this? Right. And he said, so you're saying even that the Watergate investigation, um, that the Whitewater investigations were both uh, were yeah. okay. We're, yeah. And he said, and then he said, well, they were okay because they. Involved criminal actions, but I'm not sure. Whitewater. Well, Whitewater did not involve a criminal action. It, what only Bill Clinton got ended up getting that for lying under oath about Monica oh, Lewinsky, but it had nothing to do with the Whitewater real estate right. thing. So, but even if it did, we didn't know about the criminal actions until after the investigations, right. not before. Right. 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 And, and to think that that we didn't the know cr- about the you know Nixon and the and the and the tapes and yeah. and the plumbers and everything until. That came out of the hearings,
1: and and that distinction is is not it, even a distinction in this case because we were talking about potential criminal acts here too, and so yeah, it's like yeah. and it's no, not only I, criminal acts by um, the president; it's criminal acts that result in indictments and and, and convictions by uh, the campaign. So there have been criminal acts that that have resulted in indictments and convictions. So the fact that Congress cannot, the assertion that Congress cannot pursue. Um, more information in their role, in their oversight role, and so forth, is is not based on any kind of uh, real reading of All
2: right. Of- now, I'm a little confused uh, in that um, after the Mueller report came out, because different people read it different ways, but um, Mitch McConnell um, may be speaking for a lot of Republicans said, and certainly Donald Trump loved what he said, all right, the Mueller report is out. We've read it. We know what it said. Case closed. Right. Don't need to go there anymore. Lindsey Graham said, no more hearings about this. Nothing at all. It's let's forget about it and move on. And then yesterday, Bill Barr opens a new investigation into how this investigation got started, and everybody's applauding him. Now, do they want to move on or not? I mean, <laughs> they're not they're not just sticking with the motor report. They're going back before the motor report saying we have to start looking at Hillary's emails again. And how the Mueller investigation got started, Yeah, what's going on? It, it, so, and, and just to finish here, Mueller, I mean Barr, has appointed a the Connecticut, yeah. U.S. Attorney for Connecticut, as a prosecutor yeah. to look into this.
1: And, and let's also, not re- uh, also it, recall that the D- DOJ inspector general has already been looking at this for several months already. Right. And so... That was a point where, when Barr came and testified, people were like, "Why are you saying this? Why are you getting into this when this is already subject? Yeah. Why are yeah. you personally getting involved in this? Um, if it's if some if a part of your department that you already manage is already looking into it, so that's that's uh, it, it signals at that point that there is a less than honest uh, motive behind this.
2: I mean, pretty clear. Barr is yeah. doing this because Donald Trump ordered him to, yeah. right?
1: That's, what's, that's what that's what seems like because otherwise it's already been happening, right? So why do yeah, you, why yeah. do you go above and beyond that? There were reports recently that um, the U.S. Attorney is actually maybe pausing until the Inspector General uh, finishes the, his his investigation, but also then coordinating with other agencies. It's it. There was a report, I believe, that he was talking with Gina Haspel of the CIA and so forth about getting into the investigatory roots of this. Um, the FISA court issues and so forth, um, which to me uh, again is, is exactly what you're saying. Not only is it that there's something already going on, why are you going back to this um, from the very beginning? You're going to, You're giving fodder I don't want to give him advice, right? But you're giving fodder to say, you're not letting this go, so why should anybody else let this go, much less all the reasons that, you know, we need to keep uh, looking into this because the Mueller investigation left so many open doors still.
2: Plus, I think the Mueller report and everything else we've learned that we're pretty clear how this investigation got started, Mm -hmm. you know, with a person by the name of Carter Page Mm -hmm. years before the Trump campaign ever got started. The FBI had flagged him as a potential... Russian plant and then he pops up again in the Trump campaign and then there's George Papadopoulos who pops up and they hear about these two guys running around talking about all their Russian connections and arranging meetings with Trump and getting dirt on Hillary from them and they went to the FISA court. Um. what are the 13 judges on the FISA court? I believe so, yes. Yeah, a, right? Just, I mean, but I mean, what's what's interesting so to me, Bill, is like what th- are they going to... It's gonna... not mysterious how this investigation got started. Right. And, and then it... he fired Comey and Rod Rosenstein appointed <laughs> Bob Mueller.
1: And what are they going to do at the end of it? That's the question too. Where, because we're anticipating that exactly kind of the way that you lock her up right but the thing is, are they going to actually come out and say that's what happened because if that's what happened and that comes out six months from now or a year from now then it's going to everybody is going to come once again to the public and everybody should continue to know so there's there's danger for the administration in doing this but what we anticipate what i anticipate them doing is They're going to just kind of quietly make it go away afterwards when they find out that this was all above board uh, in in terms of the way the investigation actually started.
2: Right. Um, Where does the House go now with the Mueller report? So I think there's been
1: talk, more talk lately about uh, whether or not an impeachment inquiry should come up. But the question is, what happens before that? And so. Uh, it looks like they're waiting for two things to happen. One is for McGahn to testify, and then secondly, it looked for uh, Mueller to testify. The question, I think, is how quickly all of these subpoena fights actually come. We've got to remember that uh, it's not only been in the Mueller investigation that the Trump administration has been being obstructive in this way. They've been not turning over anything to uh, the oversight oh. committees or any other – No, whether well, this has
2: to do with financial records or tax returns or – you name it exactly, and so this is kind of where
1: it's where that fight is coming to a head, and so we're looking at um, probably in the next month or so, if if that May twenty first uh, deadline for McGann is true, um, and if it holds, if he comes, then we anticipate after that um, probably uh, a, a time for Mueller to come. Again, I think just to reiterate a point before, the anticipation of Mueller testifying could be. Hit or miss, right? If he is going to be very muted and very narrow and not answer a lot of questions and so forth, and be very, you know, again, protective, um, then there's a chance that things could uh, peter out. But if uh, if he gives something that we anticipate, if you know, if he were allowed to talk freely and he wants to talk freely, something that shows what um, what he intended to do with the report. That signals it was Congress's role in that uh, in that uh, setting. And afterwards, then there's a lot of momentum after that for um, for continuing this path towards potentially an impeachment inquiry. Uh,
2: from the Center for American Progress uh, Criminal Justice Reform Program, uh, Ed Chung joins us. It's uh, centerforprogress.org center or uh, americanprogress.org. American American Progress yeah. American Progress.org um, in terms of okay, vice president of criminal justice reform, that was a hot issue in the last yeah. years of the uh, Obama administration, yeah. with uh, the Obama team and even the Koch brothers mm-hmm. and some Republicans in Congress on board. Where are we now? So I mean, I, the yeah. problem is still out there. Problem's still out there. I mean, we're talking
1: about it with all of these reforms. The prison population still is is near the same number. So we went from saying 2.3 million uh, to 2.2 million, which is a significant amount. But a lot of that ha- happened with uh, what happened with President Obama in terms of the clemency initiatives and so forth. There a lot of things that are actually happening in states. So things there are. there. Trump did t-
2: sign one bill. Right. right. The, Trump did sign the First the Step Act. First Step Act. Right. And
1: so we, we were supportive, especially, of the sentencing reform provisions of that act. And that uh, sentencing reform provisions have Provided relief, people have gotten out from you know decades-long sentences earlier than and in, in the time that they should. Um, the problem with the the act um, and the implementation act of the act is the reasons why we were reluctantly supporting it is because we had to rely on this Department of Justice to actually uh, initiate the prison reform parts of the bill. And the first thing that you need to do is you need to have somebody in charge of the prisons, the Bureau of Prisons. There is still no permanent uh, director of the Bureau of Prisons uh, to implement this bill, which is crucial. And that's not a Senate-confirmed job, Bill. It is mm. a appointment. It is just a presidential appointment. You have to go through background checks and everything, but you don't have to go through a Senate committee. So President Trump has not done that. for some, For him to say that he's a criminal justice reformer and to put himself out there, he has not done that.
2: What are the prison reforms that you're looking forward to that you feel are needed?
1: So they want to – I think the bill is looking to transform the system to try to uh, get more education and get more um, uh, reentry programming to more people. Um, And so you need to – the Bureau of Prisons right now is lacking that significantly. And so if you're wanting to make sure that people have opportunities afterwards, you want to start while they're incarcerated to give them opportunities. It's a very difficult process. It's a very um, arduous process. Um, but it's something that other states have shown that could be done. I mean, there's been progress made in Michigan Department of Corrections and, and North Dakota and other places as well to, to really just change the way that uh, prisons work. There's a There was a, a 60 Minutes um uh, piece on the true unit in Connecticut that showed a really just a, a, a basically adopting kind of a European model uh, of prisons of taking a group of uh, young men and putting them in this uh, place where you have more service oriented education reentry oriented and really kind of make it less of a punitive setting and much more of a rehabilitative setting and shown to have remarkable success. Um, so you could do a lot and I think that's where the momentum has been again, the problem is like who is going to implement this um, mm-hmm. and who is going to make this happen. We do think I do think that this issue is going to come up in the presidential election and not only in the presidential, but in the Democratic primaries as well. With the entrance of Joe Biden into uh, the the primaries, um, as well as several others. Why does
2: that impact it?
1: So, uh, you know, a lot of these candidates have different backgrounds of on criminal justice reform. And Biden? Biden also has uh, years of talking about, you know, he had been a champion of the crime bills uh, of the 80s and right. 90s. And that has uh, really drastically pushed up incarceration in the country. And we were at a different place in the 80s and yeah. 90s, but at the same even then, what do you feel about it now, and do you look back on it as um, something as a success, as a regret, a mix between the two, and what are you going to do from that going forward? Uh,
2: so, I, we remember Hillary Clinton. I right. came back to dog her with the uh, undesir- so what was the phrase she used? So
1: she used the term super predators to describe— Super predators, yeah, right. Yeah, to describe young—essentially young black men in, um, in, in communities. So
2: has Biden said— uh that might have worked then or, or, or but not now or yeah. w- that we were wrong then and we recognize that now or so he's he's kind of
1: he's he's addressed it not directly he's addressed it as um you know in, in kind of what you just said in 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 a very um you know we knew things then we knew things now um, he was supportive of the obama efforts um, and he said that's but i think what people are looking to do especially in, uh, in this primary and activists and advocates are, are you going to make a clean break and say these are the harms that were created and then acknowledge them and then move forward from there? And there are other candidates um, such as Senator Harris who are. Who I was is, just going
2: to say Senator Harris right. has a similar problem, right, with as right. N- being known as a, for some people, excessive hardliner on. Right. So she, prison reforms.
1: she in her career has started out as a, uh, uh, you know, as a progressive prosecutor. As, oh, this is her term um, of, you know, she was ahead of the curve, if you will. Then the curve kind of caught uh, up with her. Yeah. And the question now is, um, you know, what is her approach going forward? And so um, Senator Booker has been somebody who's been on the cutting mm-hmm. edge of a lot of these uh, things. So there and Senator Klobuchar was a former prosecutor as well. So there are a lot of folks with criminal justice uh, backgrounds that are running in this election that I, I think a lot of people are looking to see. Do you find mass incarceration to be a problem and a crisis as much as some of these other issues such as healthcare, care, uh, energy uh, and uh, climate change and uh, immigration and so forth? Or do you do you find it at the same level? And if so, what are you actually going to do about it? And how are you going to address your past?
2: Yeah. You don't hear a lot of talk about that uh, in the 2020 election, right. but I think you're right. This is definitely going to come up. We'll come up in the debates. I think that's And right. we'll make sure it does. Uh, yes, hey, yes. thanks, Ed. Hey, thanks so much for coming Absolutely, in. Americanprogress.org for to follow Ed Chung. And have a great Wednesday, folks, and come back and see us again this tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show.